Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. In this episode, we will be discussing bullying and harassment in today's workplace. I'm delighted to welcome Linda Crockett, who's been pioneering changing the conversation on this subject for the last 35 years. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Me too. It's a pleasure to have you. Linda, you're known for pioneering the first and only full-service workplace harassment, bullying and violence resource centre in Canada. And you've also won awards for your work on this subject. Your clinical and professional training includes a master's degree specialising in workplace bullying, certification as a trauma therapist and over 30 years of experience in social work. And before the show, we were discussing some of the fascinating areas that you cover in, in your work. And I know you work with both bullies and people who are being bullied and that your main objective, and I would even say your quest, is to get them to be more aware and create understanding and action as prevention rather than cure. And I know that you offer a wide range of services to all professions and all industries. My first question has to be one of curiosity. (laughs) What got you into this area of work? To be honest with you, it's because I think that I, in my entire career of a, as a professional social worker, and I've been doing it for 34 years, at the 22-year mark of my career, I hit rock bottom. I experienced okay. it in a place that I never expected to experience it. I worked in a, a cancer center in my wow. city. Okay. And so I was a medical social worker and I'm helping people through their cancer diagnoses and treatment and, or even passing and helping families after. I sure didn't expect that I was going to be treated the way I was being treated. So I was side blinded. It took quite a long time, like a year and a half before I figured out what was happening to me. Okay. So there's a lot, a lot there to say that, you know, it's 22 years in social work. I felt I should have seen it. I felt I should mm. have known it. Because I had a lot of experience in dealing with abuse, all mm. kinds of. I used to investigate abuse, mm. so when I when I experienced it and I became quite physically ill and mentally ill, I was quite I'm really full of shame. Mm. And, and did it take shame. you getting ill, Linda, to actually realize what was happening? Yeah, and and in the cases that I've seen in the last eleven years that I've been doing this work. I've seen that with a lot of people that it's not until you actually get ill mm. because it's something that happens overnight. This is a something that happens over months or years mm. and then you get ill and then you start asking what's going on and need some help and it shouldn't take that long. And the reason mm. it takes that long is because people don't know. It's so normalized. You see it right in front of your face and you don't realize it. We've normalized. Mm. It's not mm. new. But let's say society's really getting far more crafty and sophisticated <laughs> how to do it. We've got the internet now. Mm. And so now we can teach. Now we can talk about it. Now we can push for policies. So things are changing. People are becoming more aware sooner now. Mm, but like you say, we've given it an added dimension with the metaverse and we can now do it virtually and across the internet. But before we go there, what is a bully for you? You know, what signs make you think, yes, this is what's happening? Well, first of all, a lot of, a lot of people, when they think about bullying, they think about the stereotypical childhood bully. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I did too back then, back mm. in the day. I thought, oh, my gosh, I must not be good enough. I must be that meek and mild kid. There must be something wrong with me. I went to that place. Mm. 
You need to understand that this is not childhood bullying. This is far different. This is psychological harassment. And sometimes it's psychological violence. It is on a spectrum. It depends on the type of bully that you're dealing with. So when you look at harassment, harassment usually fits within those protected grounds. It's usually aimed towards somebody's race or somebody's you know, ethnic background or their gender identity or, or religious beliefs or their source of income. It's usually directed towards something to do with that. And, and harassment can be one-time incidents or repeated incidences, right? Yeah. But bullying, psychological harassment, is never a one-time incident. Never. Mm. So define it very clearly. And it usually weaves in between all those protected grounds so that it's it's more subtle, more insidious. Yeah. Mm. It's microaggressions. It's more passive aggressive. It's so it certainly can be very direct. Mm. It certainly can be very obvious, but for the most part, it's happening behind closed doors. Mm. The way that I define it is, I try to simplify the definition because the definition really gets complicated for a lot of people. So it's a variety of very negative, sometimes subtle, sometimes obvious behaviors or actions or words or non-verbal you know, body language, whether it's through a face-to-face or it's via email or phone call or internet stuff. It's a variety of these things that happen over a period of time. And research will say six months or more. I think it's very, very um, safe to say three months or more. I've seen very mm. valid cases of three months or more. So if if one or more people are targeting a specific person or persons with negative behaviors like ignoring them, ostracizing them, slamming a door in their face, rolling their eyes every time that person talks, or turning their back on them every time that person talks, mm. you know, are rumors or gossip. And it's towards a certain person and group for over three months or more, with or without conscious intent. Mm. Because yes. There, there are times it's very conscious. Mm. And that that campaign of psychological violence. But there are times when it's not so conscious. You've done it for years. You've gotten away with it. You've gotten promoted. You've gotten even hired because you behave that way. You've got a bonus because you behave that way. Mm-hmm. And you start to learn that's what people expect of you. That's what that's what gets you through life. That's what helps you move up the ladder of work life. And then you get disconnected from that moral gauge that tells you you, you shouldn't treat people that way. Mm-hmm. So with or without conscious intent, Mm. I would say that, that causes some form of harm. Mm. So I'll just say that quickly. A variety of negative behaviors or actions or words that over a period of three months or more, with or without conscious intent, that causes harm. Mm. Harm being humiliates, embarrasses, shames, diminishes, impacts someone's self-esteem, someone's relationships, with their colleagues, their Mm. reputation, and the list goes on. Mm. And eventually, if it doesn't get dealt with, it causes serious harm and it can be fatal. Yeah. And and I mean, and a lot of people, I'm coming back to the unconscious part of this, a lot of people say, oh, I was only joking. You know, it's only banter. That's that's just the way we joke around here. And, And I think I deal a lot with microaggressions when we work on diversity and inclusion and psychological safety. And I think people, once they're aware of that, they become even afraid to say anything, which doesn't help either because that's another type of distance that they're putting there if that person is already feeling shame. So how do you go about equipping 
people to understand exactly what is and isn't banter, you know, and, and what is appropriate and what isn't and how they can act on that themselves. You're absolutely right. You're bringing up a very important point. And I mean, some of us, I, I was born in Scotland and, and being a Scot- my Scottish family is very sarcastic and there's mm. a lot of banter and a lot of poking and teasing. And, and you know, I, I grew up in Canada. So when I go back to Scotland, I'm kind of shocked sometimes. About, <laughs> like, oh, I would never have been able to manage mm. this, cope with this if I had lived this way or would I become this way? Like it's, it's hurtful. Mm. And if you grow up that way and, and, and you're used to it, you're wondering why am I suddenly not okay? And mm. I get guys and, and ladies and men that come into work and say, well, if I can't do this, then I, I, I feel like I got to suffocate. I feel like I can't say anything. Yeah. I can't do anything. Well, that's not what we're talking about. What you, we, what we need is some self-insight. We need to be self-monitoring. Mm. We need to understand what boundaries are. Yeah. We need to understand the impact that we are having. Do you care that you're having an impact mm. and, and understand what that impact is? Now, you and I might have known each other for years and we might have been able to tease each other and cross boundaries and and and, and it doesn't cause each other harm. Mm. There's a lot of people out there that haven't got that, who haven't yeah. got that relationship. Yeah. And that's not there. And mm. we just have to be more aware of our environment respectful for our environment but self-insight is key Mm. yeah and understanding what triggers you and learning to read other people in terms Mm. of what may or may not trigger them and I think that's a little bit scary isn't it if you've never really done that or if you don't want to do that you know how can you recognize early warning signs is is there like a typical bully profile and Mm -hmm. is there a typical victim profile because I think we often get into these and I'm back into my unconscious bias about yeah he looks a little bit aggressive or she looks like you know she wouldn't say anything or he he looks like he wouldn't say anything and I think we all have that unconscious judgment that the brain does straight away so how how do you help people with that if you don't mind I'm gonna I'm gonna add one piece to the question that you just asked me yeah about those microaggressions and growing up in 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 some insensitive type of environments that tease each other and Mm. that's the norm you know one of the the last things I want to add to that is that sometimes they shut people down by saying oh don't be so sensitive yes so sensitive and they make you they shame you for feeling hurt and I want to speak to that because we need to make sensitive a good, positive thing that you're proud of. Mm. I'm proud to be sensitive. I am proud that I've never hurt anybody's feelings because I'm sensitive. You're just too insensitive. Yeah. Maybe you've gotten away with that for too long. And, and what is it about you that needs to keep poking at me? Mm. What is it about you that needs to make people feel stupid? Mm. So let's just call it out. Being sensitive is a good thing. Yeah, it's a strength. You know? so I want to add that piece. Profile of a bully is another good question because you have people have to understand that there's different types of bullies. Mm. There's different reasons that people bully. So if you've got a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath, read up on narcissism and psychopaths and sociopaths because you're going to find out that a lot of them come across very, very charming mm. and very, very good at what they do. Quite attractive, maybe not even physically, but attractive as to what they do because they're telling you all the time how great they are and you might be putting them on a pedestal because you believe it and I'm mm. certainly of that putting people on a pedestal because they they're so great mm. only to have them crash off that pedestal as soon as I call them out or you know make them not uh, 
as make them feel stupid. Yeah. So it's easy to, to look at the profile of a bully if we're talking about a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath. Read about that. Mm. But I don't think most of the people that I work with are not psychopaths. They're not narcissists. They're not psycho. They don't come in. They, That's reassuring. That. <laughs> yeah. People that I see are, are different profiles. They're not hardwired as bullies. Mm. They are bullies, but they're not hardwired that way, which means they can change. So if I'm looking at the profile, then I'm looking at risk factors like authoritarian leaders that really abuse their power. Yeah. They're very dominating, domineering. They're they're very abrasive. Mm. They're civil in the way they speak. They're mean. They're rude. They're sarcastic. They're teasing you. They're inappropriate in their teasing. Mm-hmm. I'd be looking for those signs that they don't walk their talk. They don't practice what they preach. There's an mm. inconsistency there a hypocrisy and they're, they're not accountable no. for their own behavior mm. another good one is they practice you know you don't want you to be accountable but they're not ac- accountable yes yeah. you know, they're not following through their policies and procedures they're not treating people equally they have favorites yeah. you know they, there's nepotism there you're going to look for those signs mm. How are they are they dealing with problems within the staffing? Is there is there is there favoritism or is there resentments festering or are they laissez faire? Yeah. It's yeah. buried in the sand and they're doing mm. nothing about it. You want to watch for those signs because those are high risk factors. Mm. And it's almost kept alive by the culture which allows it, doesn't it? So I mean, you spoke about national culture just before, and I think you know, every culture has its humor and its interpretation of humor and ways of communicating. But I would be really interested in your thoughts on the effect of culture, organizational culture on on this topic, because we I've seen a lot of it, but it's like you say, normalized and it's an accepted part of how we do things around here. That's right. Well, leadership sets the tone of a work environment. Yeah, of course. Leadership sets the tone. So what tone do you want in your work environment? And that's something to watch for, right? Mm. So if your leaders really are a cohesive team, if you have a competent, confident set of cohesive leaders for zero tolerance, mm. that's the work environment. But if the leaders don't really believe that there's such a thing as workplace bullying, if they think this is ridiculous and that sarcasm is fine and that they don't want to deal with it, then your work environment is going to be seriously impacted. So mm. leaders set the tone, mm. really. Whatever that culture is going to be, it's going to, you have to look at it. Research has showed us that 73% of the bullying is coming top down, yeah. leadership down. Mm. So, mm. you know, your supervisor might be a bully, but that manager might be bullying that supervisor or that director might be bullying that manager. So what's going on here? What are the hiring practices? Are we putting leaders in positions of leadership where they're, they're skilled and they're experienced and they're able to manage that level of stress? Mm. Or are we putting people in leadership positions that because they're our buddy and we owe them something, you know, or nobody else wants that job. So we're throwing anybody in that position. Mm. Then we're not setting leaders up for success. And if we are doing that, we're not setting staff up for success. And the environment is contaminated as a result of that. Mm. And do you see differences in the way the different genders deal with bullying? Yes, I do. I mean, if it's a female dominated work environment, then primarily the bullies are going to be females. Mm. 
the male dominant environment, then primarily it's going to be males that are the, the bullies. But there are some times where it's male dominated and you've got a female who feels that she has to keep up with the men and mm. she's overcompensating and she's, you know, definitely acting out with bullying behaviors and being very micromanaging and controlling and unpredictable and inconsistent. And we'll see Jekyll and Hyde mentalities in both men and females yeah. as well. And Jekyll and Hyde is usually associated with male. So the female in my life that was a bully, I called her Mary Poppins versus Godzilla. You know, <laughs> everybody else. Yeah. But boy, was she Godzilla behind. Mm. So, and I think uh, females can be far more undercutting, undermining, backstabbing, whereas men can be more abrupt and abrasive and right in your face. So, but yeah. it depends. It really mm. depends. And thank you because I'm asking the question because I'm coming back to unconscious bias. And I think I hear a lot of people saying bullying, oh, yeah. And they're just assuming that it's the men bullying, the, the male managers bullying the females. And it's not always the case, of course. And it's very interesting to hear from you how they go about it differently, but there are warning signs to both. Oh, for sure. For bullying and even sexual harassment. I have cases of female managers sexually harassing their male staff. Mm. So we have to, we have to start to realize this is happening with both genders. Mm. And what do you think from your work and what you see in the, in the organizations and the leaders you work with, what's the biggest challenge today around this topic in organizations? I know that's a huge question. (laughs) But are there one or two topics that that come up more than others? I couldn't pick just one or two. There's so many. I can give you an example that just happened to me two days ago, as I was teaching a group of forty lawyers in my in my in a training session, and one of the lawyers said, "Don't you think that teaching on this stuff is making it worse?" Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> that is the example of that is very frustrating for me that these are lawyers who really have an impact on cases. And this man is asking me, by me training, trauma-informed, building awareness, that I'm actually making it worse. That's a challenge for me. It's a Mm. challenge for me to see employers bury their heads and say, no, you know, we're not going to train on this. It's mandatory in Canada for you to train your staff, and yet they're still trying not to. It's challenging for me to see that leaders don't realize your staff is watching you. Yeah. Staff is watching you. So you set the tone. If you do not believe in this, you do not practice zero tolerance, why should they? Mm. If you're not walking the talk of accountability, why should they? You need to realize that you're the role model. Mm. That's frustrating for me. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that are check the box kind of leaders. One, watch this webinar for one hour, check the box. And now I know I've met the need. You can never truly understand workplace psychological harassment or violence in a one-hour webinar. Clearly. Never understand the human experience. You don't understand the injury. You don't understand the impact. You will not create change with a one-hour webinar. That, to me, is hypocrisy. And that, to me, is saying that this phenomenon and this epidemic is a joke. That's what I, I find that very frustrating. Mm. And do you think, do you find it normally comes from a place of fear? insecurity or or just not in, disinterest i think it's a lot of things and sometimes sometimes it's fear mm. sometimes it's fear of opening that can of worms oh my gosh if you open yeah. that can of worms i'm going to have 20 cases of complaints right and yeah you're right you might but at least you're starting you'll stop them from coming in yeah because you need to deal with them that's not going away 
meantime, your staff is suffering mm. and mm. costs are going up. It's costing you multiple millions each year. If you don't know that, start looking because it is. Mm. Your reputation is being impacted. So avoiding it and avoiding also maybe that you you might be caught because you've been doing some things that yeah. you want people being caught, you know, like um, extorting money, for example, or having an affair with an employee, mm. for example, and you mm. don't want to be exposed. So avoidance, fear, or just plain ignorance that this doesn't happen. Arrogance, maybe. There's a lot mm. of reasons. Mm. I, I hear a lot that's HR's accountability. HR should be dealing with that. If you've, if you've got a problem with your manager, you go and see HR. And all, you know, just giving, passing the blame, if you like, or passing the book over to HR. Clearly, it's not just a HR issue. Do you think HR need more experience and understanding than the other parts of the organization because they will ultimately get sent lots of people who start talking about this well what bothers me about that is all hr are not trained equally right yeah. sometimes we're putting people in positions of hr where they have absolutely no training they don't know how to handle this stuff mm. they should be standardly standard across and they should be accountable to a professional association but first mm. and secondly they're not trained on how to investigate not all the hr are trained on how to investigate cases of psychological harassment. Mm. So these cases should not be investigated the same way and they should not be treated the same way because there's psychological component to this. This mm. is a workplace psychological hazard. Yeah. And sometimes HR are the bullies. And sometimes HR needs a paycheck too and they're going to do what the bully boss is telling them to do. So there might be bias there. Mm. So it's not just an HR problem. This is a full team, a leadership team problem. This is an HR problem. You need to access human rights or occupational health and safety or your union mm. because all systems, it's an all systems problem, yeah. Yeah. including I, the medical and the yeah. insurance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so how can we go about equipping the organization then? Because it, Clearly, leaders are accountable for that as well and need to be equipped and feel equipped to actually start having those conversations, the first step. And then the second step is to do something with what they're hearing. So how do you go about equipping leaders for that? Well, first of all, leaders aren't going to do anything unless you've got legislation. So you need legislation. So you need to start uh, what we did here in Canada, in, in my particular province, was when we didn't have any any law against bullying could come to work and I could call you a useless waste of space every day or say things like that didn't fit within the protected grounds did it mm. right say god I can't stand this that your skin what's wrong with your skin or I hate the sound of your voice I could say all that stuff and it, human rights could do nothing so first of all get your legislation and, and get good legislation our mm. legislation is there but it's weak you know learn mm. from the mistakes that other places are making get some good strong legislation because that's going to hold your leaders accountable. Mm. And if your leaders do not do what the legislation says, which number one is train all staff, or number one is have policies and procedures that say zero tolerance, that mm. tell people how to report it, that include alternative reporting processes, that include uh, protection against retaliation, that include examples of retaliation, that include punishment or consequences for malicious complaints so have a good robust set of policies number one that's Mm. what legislation should say secondly train all staff on your policies and procedures so that everybody knows what is bullying what is not what is psychological harassment or psychological violence so that you have language 
that mm. you now can say, no, this is not normal. And you can start to identify it earlier before an injury shows up, not months and years later when an mm. injury shows up. So you want prevention. You mm. want to learn about intervention and you want resources that are equipped to handle crisis intervention. So legislation, leadership's held accountable, uh, all staff trained, and then you want resources that are qualified to deal with this kind of injury. Mm. So you want therapists who are trained to deal with this injury because some therapists are actually making mistakes and making things worse. Mm. You want coaches who are trained. And I think Everyone should be trauma-informed. In this training should be absolutely trauma-informed, including investigators. Don't bring in an investigator that doesn't have trauma-informed training. Mm. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be a psychologist. Yes. You have to have trauma-informed so that you know the person that you're interviewing who is freaking out, angry, uh, irritable, uh, upset, is actually having a panic attack and not a problem person. They're not the disruptive employee. They're actually having a panic attack. You need to understand some of these symptoms and signs so that you know how to diffuse it and calm that nervous system down and not cause more injury. Mm. Because I think we can spend a lot of time just being bystanders without really wanting to. So I gave an example before of people just get too scared to express themselves because they don't want to microaggress someone or you know say something that's inappropriate. They're not sure what language to use. But we can also just not dare to speak up, can't we? So, And we all know that in organisational cultures, there's still quite a lot of command and control and people don't dare to speak up, particularly to hierarchy. So what would your sort of, I was going to say tips and tricks, but it's not tips and tricks. What would your upskilling process be for people who are looking to do something but don't dare for whatever reason? Well, you're, you're bringing up two things for me there. You're talking about... When you're talking about the bystanders, I think we need to talk about them, you know, the witnesses. Mm. The bystanders are absolutely critical because this is usually happening behind closed doors or, you know, it's crazy making stuff. Nobody's going to believe me. This person is fantastic in front of everybody else, but behind closed doors, they're spitting at me with their anger. Their their fangs are showing. Nobody's ever going to believe that stuff. So we need our bystanders, Mm. our witnesses. But we've done our bystanders a disservice because we get angry at them for not reporting. We get angry at them for not speaking up. You know, how could you not defend me? You just saw that kind of thing. And of course, that's right to feel that way. We will feel betrayed. And that's valid to feel betrayed by that. Mm. Our own colleagues not speaking up and, and, and helping us. But the, the truth is, bystanders have seen the process fail time and time again. Mm. Why would they Interesting. Want to speak up? Yeah. And and bystanders have seen the damage it's caused to other people. They don't want to be the next one who's going to be targeted. Maybe they were targeted before. Maybe they've been bullied before. They sure as heck don't want to be bullied again. And that's valid. Mm. Or maybe they are overwhelmed, stressed out. Their caseloads or their workload is already too much. And in addition to that, they've got a sick family member at home. That's, That's valid reasons that they don't want to get involved. Maybe they're on probation. They want their job to be permanent. They don't want to be seen as a troublemaker. Mm. We have to validate that there's a very good reasons for them not wanting to speak up or get involved. You even mentioned one, you know. So first of all, let's give them a support system that is safe, that can help them get through that fear and that barrier that is valid 
because at the end of the day, they have to do the right thing mm. because it's going to eat away at them as well. It's going to impact their health as well. So we have to have safe processes to report this kind of abuse. Mm. Now, if it's the boss, that's the bully or the safety officer or the HR, then have alternative ways, have a whistleblower line, have people like me that I know there's people like me in France that do this work mm. that you can even go and just sit with, that it's confidential and you can process and, and develop a strategy that is safe for you. Mm. And another, maybe not tip or trick, but what is necessary is that you document. And I know that a lot of people are sick and tired of document because that's what we do in our in our work. We type all day or we write all day. But I'm saying, you know, you can you can put an app on your phone. There's a great app on my website, Trail App. It's about it's very cheap, but you can just start to document in your phone what you saw that day, what you heard that day, what you felt that day, what you did that day. Because as a as a bystander or as a person who's being targeted, eventually. You just might have to report. You might want to report. But here it is, May or June, sorry. But if I decide in December that I'm going to report, I might not want to today, but by December, maybe I'm going to want to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to forget everything that's happened in June, July, and August. And I need that. I need that material. I need that data because that is part of my evidence. An investigator comes into your office. They're going to try to determine whether you're credible or not. Of course. You're going to try and weigh the probabilities of, of whether you were bullied or not. Is your claim valid or not? Or are you malicious or not? That documentation is going to be critical because they're going to say, perhaps, where were you in on, on June the 3rd or 4th, whatever it is, because so-and-so says you went out and keyed their car. I've had a case like that. Yeah. Well, your documentation is going to be able to go, on June the 4th, actually, I was in England. So there's no way I could have keyed your car. So you see how you're you're able to get that credibility with your note taking, but also it's good for your mental health. Yeah. Because by if the bullying started in June, by December you're going to be so fatigued, you're going to forget things, you're going to lose your focus, you're going to be all meshed up in your head, going to be wondering if you're crazy. Did I actually see that? Nobody's going to believe me. Your documentation is going to be. I'm going to go back to June and say. And look at that and go, yes, that did happen. I'm not crazy. I've got clarity with my documentation. Mm. You need your clarity to stay sane. Mm. You need your clarity to keep your confidence. Of course. course. And you need your confidence to keep your courage. Mm. Because you're going to need clarity, confidence, and courage to make a complaint. Of course. So documenting is very important for your mental health Mm. so that you can sleep at night too. Mm. Because sleep is severely impacted by this abuse. And just as I'm listening to you, I'm, I was just asking myself the question, I wonder how many cases of burnout are due to psychological harassment or bullying? Do, do you have figures on that or do you have a feeling from what you do? I would say a very high number. Now, there's like you asked me about the profile of people who are bullied and, yeah. and that sort of comes to that answer there as well. I mean, there is research on that, but I can say in the last 11 years, I've seen thousands of people. And it's just the most amazing data for me because every single person, including myself, fits this particular category. Very hardworking, dedicated, loyal, ethical, skilled, and well-liked. The go-toers. That category, 100%. Every single person. 
that walks through my door fits that category. But there's a couple of other categories. So if you're a workaholic, or if you put all the eggs in the basket of work that this is my identity, this is my sense of self, this is my self-achievement, this is how I measure my success. If that, if everything about you is about your work, and in comes a bully, a new manager or a new person, a new peer that is going mm-hmm. to attack your reputation and, and lie about you, your devastation is going to be far worse because. You're such a dedicated, loyal workaholic or overachiever. You're not going to stop. Mm. You're not going to say, I need some time off. This is killing me. You're going to keep going and you're going to say, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Well, you can't fix it. You got a target on your back. You can't fix it, especially if it's a narcissist or a psychopath or sociopath. You can't fix it. So you're going to hang in there. And you might even start working on Sundays or you might start working on your coffee breaks and your lunch breaks Mm. because you're going to prove that you're the best employee out there and you don't deserve this to the point where you're going to get so sick like I did. You're going to end up with what I had, which was PTSD. I had ulcers. I had all kinds of lost weight. You're going to end up like I did because I was that person who would just keep hanging in there, working more, working harder to prove myself to show them so they get off my back. And I most definitely, my illness was definitely part of burnout. Mm. So again, back to self-insight, right? That's, you know, what's the solution? Self-insight, self-monitoring. Do I have a healthy work-life balance? Am I putting my health as a priority? Or am I always jumping to the pump to help everybody else but myself? Do I have a good work-life balance? And why not? If I am a workaholic, why am I a workaholic? If I'm an overachiever, why am I an overachiever? So there's some parts about this that we need to do for ourselves. Ask ourselves some questions. And, and I've got some stuff on my well, on my website. Am I being bullied or am I a bully? I can send you to put up on yours if you want. So it's just a little checklist. checklist. Self-insight is, is very important for all of us. Thank you for that. I definitely will put it on my website because I think it's one of those conversations people don't have because they're not sure how to have it or they just don't see it. Or if there's something that can frame it tangibly, then they might, you know, be more inclined to go and have a look and understand exactly what's going on with them before they, because they're probably bullying themselves. (laughs) Self-assessment is really important Mm. for everyone. And, and, and remember we're, we might be watching our leaders, but our children are watching us. Yeah. Yeah. So we're yeah. leaders in their lives. So what are we teaching our children if we are not taking care of ourselves? What are we mm. teaching them? Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's a big thought. <laughs> and, and if I were to ask you, therefore, if you walked into an organization or a workplace, what would good look like for you? Well, if I walked in, I'd, I, I wouldn't be able to see it right away. I mean, it, mm. it's something that happens over time, right? So mm. if I was in an interview, for example, I'd be asking them about their policies. Do you have policies on workplace harassment and violence? And what are those? And what? Mm. how do you handle these cases? You know, How do you protect your employee? What kind of resources do you have? What are your thoughts you know, on, on these issues. And I'd be sort of poking around as to where, where is their attitude as leaders Mm. and how they manage and how knowledgeable are they, you know, Mm. and what what would look so good in the beginning? It can look so good. And that, that was my question because you can sort of greenwash it quite effectively. 
unless you ask the right questions or you know what you're looking for, which is why it's really interesting to hear what you would look for and how you would ask for it. Yeah, I'd start off that way. But even at that point, they can you can still get fooled. So I would be making sure that I maintain my healthy work-life balance, that I don't put all my definitions of self in the workplace, that I have some uh, social community involvement, volunteer involvement, family involvement, good support system, and that I maintain that for myself regardless of the environment. Yes, such great advice. I come back to the thing that sensitive is a strength, just like vulnerability is, and trying to bust the the myths of strong leaders and who is and who isn't a strong leader. I think that's really important as well, because I think it contributes to this type of situation and the, the belief that I am my results and I can use my power as I see fit and all the other things that happen. Can I add something to that? Of course you, brought up, you brought up leadership and I want to say I've been teaching leaders and staff for years and years. And, and I always ask the question, do you know your leadership style? And I always get the deer in the headlights look. (laughs) (laughs) And just quickly, if you don't know your leadership style, whether you're a leader or in a position that you eventually want to be a leader, we're all leaders in some way, shape or Mm. form. You should know your leadership style. Self-assess as to what your leadership style is. And my recommendation is to have a foundation of leading with emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Whatever your style wants you want to be, at least have that as your foundation. Take a course, read a book, become, you know, communicate with emotional intelligence. Have that as a foundation. That's the way of the world in the future. And Mm. then bring in different styles like situational leadership style, democratic, whatever else is something important to you. You're going to have to draw on different tools because you're going to work with many personalities. But have a foundation. Mm. And that's the same for us as parents. We should be parenting with emotional intelligence, mm. you know, our, our marriages, communicating with emotional intelligence. Mm. That would be very, very, that would create a lot of success for people. Yeah. And I think it would create different conversations, wouldn't it? Ooh, I mean, yes. I, I, that's a whole other discussion, but, and time is running, but I would like to ask you any final call to action you would have or recommendation for people who are grappling with just that. How do I introduce this subject and, and start having those conversations in my workplace? Well, first of all, become aware, Mm. you know, like, you know, dispel the myths and the assumptions and the stereotypes that you might have been carrying all these years and go look for look at the research, read a research paper, read Mm. a book, plenty. And I recommend many on my website. There's many researchers. So become informed and appropriately informed Mm. before you start telling people what you think and assume. (laughs) Become informed. And take a training session and not mm. just any tick box webinar. Look for people who do trauma-informed, in-depth, holistic training. You want to know about the, the human experience of it. But if you're somebody who's harmed right now, be sure not to overdo it because you're going to trigger yourself. So pace yourself on it. Seek out a coach or a, or a coach counselor who has some background and training in this area that you know is well-known for their experience. And just have some conversation and teaching and bounce off. But I would also say self-insight is absolutely key. Mm. Look at your legislation. Do you have any? And if you don't, can you start a call to action about that? Can you Mm. meet with a a politician? Can you look at how you can create change? Where is your passion? Is it research? Mm. Is it politics? Is it, it, you know, if, if you're HR... Uh, you have a responsibility 
here as well, but you might be in a dilemma too. So you you need help as well. So there's all kinds of calls to action. How can you create change? In every October, I do a workplace bullying awareness week. And uh, four years ago, I started inviting other countries to join us. So hopefully France will join us this year and look at my website on how to deal with that. I'll send that to you as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories, your insight, your experience. Where can people find out more about what you do? My website is pretty simple, workplaceharassment.ca. Okay, super. And I'm going to leave our listeners with two things that have resonated the most with me, self-insight and self-compassion, i.e. don't expect yourself to be up to speed in the next two days and that it's a process. It is absolutely a process and a lot of us don't have enough self-compassion. So I think that's a really important piece that you just said. Excellent. Thank you once again, Linda, for coming and sharing all your thoughts and ideas. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your review and feedback. And it's bye from me from now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.